Hello, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. This is episode 90. In the tech world over the past couple of weeks, the big news has been the Apple Vision Pro. The release of the headset, virtual reality, entertainment, productivity gadget from Apple that costs $3,500 and is either the future or something less profound. I don't own an Apple Vision Pro, but I did have a chance to take a demo, and I was specifically interested in learning about the accessibility features included in the product. Apple has released information about accessibility prior to release, but that's very different than actually experiencing accessibility features. So as part of a demo I took here at the Apple Store in Austin, Texas, I wanted to evaluate accessibility features and the way that I might use them. And instead of droning on at you by myself about my experience, I decided to enlist a friend who I was pretty sure was also interested in Apple Vision Pro, if from a slightly different perspective. To talk about the Vision Pro with me, uh, I've invited on uh, Robin Christofferson, who is a past guest of Parallel and is also one of my co-panelists on the Mac Accessibility Roundtable. He's the head of digital inclusion at AbilityNet in the UK and a really smart guy who knows about Apple things. Robin, thanks so much for joining me. I'm terrified now because I'm not only a smart guy, apparently, but am I the host if you're the guest? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to figure this out on the fly. <laughs> right. So, see, I, I invited Robin on, and I basically said, interview me. And he's like, about, I don't know what, you didn't write any questions. And so, uh, you, but I, I, my thought was that people have a lot of questions about what the Vision Pro experience is like, especially from an mm -hmm. accessibility point of view. And when I mentioned I was going to do this, I got a lot of engagement online, and a lot of people were like, I can't wait to hear what you think. But I realized that just droning on and on by myself was probably less interesting than than hearing ha having somebody else, you know, come on and, and talk to me about it. So that's why uh, I invited Robin on, and, and he's been kind enough to agree. So um, I, I guess I should start with the very basics and just say that I went into an Apple store here in my hometown, Austin, Texas, and uh, got the demo that anybody could sign up for this week. I've had no previous press access to the Apple Vision Pro. I don't know of anybody in the accessibility space who's really had a chance to play with one for any length of time. So I was really curious about that. And that's that's where I started. Great. So you were wanting to find out what it would be like for someone with low vision predominantly? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I am a voiceover user and I suspected before I went in that I might be more likely to be a voiceover user on the Vision Pro than I am on my iPad or my iPhone. And I still think that's true, but I did want to find out from a low vision point of view what it would be like. And so before I went to the demo, they have you fill out all sorts of, well, not all sorts of, but they have you fill out a few uh, bits of information about yourself, whether you wear glasses and what kind of lenses you use, which doesn't really apply to me. I wear some reading glasses, I have some reading glasses, I should say. I don't wear them very often. They're very thick lenses. They're definitely designed for people with low vision. And so I did not expect Apple would have those reading glasses of that power on hand. And they, in fact, did not. I showed my glasses to the demo person. And I, you know, and I, that's not a ding against them. I mean, there's just only so many prescriptions, right? And yep. it's a highly specific one. Uh, so I did go in as a low vision person without corrected vision, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So did you do the whole head measuring thing? How do they accommodate people who are just coming in off the street? 
What they do is they have you hold your face up to an iPhone, very much like the Face ID process when you're enrolling in in an iPhone Face ID. Uh, And so you turn your head, you move it up and down. And I required a little assistance with that because normally when I use Face ID on an iPhone, I have to turn voiceover on because it tells you to tilt your head up, tilt your head down. And so in this case, the demo guide would, would give me those instructions and say, tilt your head a little up, tilt your head a little down. And what they do is they bring out... Apparently, there's a specific iPhone that's trained for this because they the guy had the iPhone and then he gave it to somebody else to do somebody else somebody else's demo. So mm-hmm. I guess it's not an app that's on all their phones, but that's what gets the basic head measurements. And by the way, all the stuff that they collect about you, your head measurements, your prescription, any anything in terms of the customization, that's sent to you at the end of the demo in an email. So that if you want to go ahead and buy Vision Pro later, they have all that information about you. Cool. Okay, so I'm itching to know about the physical uh, description of it. Obviously, we had it at um, the announcement, but your take on what it felt like. Obviously, you've got some vision. So, you know, does it look sexy or is it just geek goggles? How heavy is it? How comfortable? I think it looks like ski goggles. I'm, I'm. I have a picture of my head with these on it. I do not think I look fabulous. There are people who are not me who think they look great, and most of them are dudes. I am not a particularly fashion <laughs> conscious woman, but at the same time, I, I have some sense of what looks good on my head, and it looks like a pair of ski goggles. Uh, it is comfortable to wear. I actually, having heard and read a lot about how heavy it was, was a little has some trepidation because, again, especially as a female, I was wondering, is this something that is weighted for my, you know, relatively speaking, small head? And I actually found it to be surprisingly comfortable. And the only pain or discomfort that I felt was maybe a tiny bit on my forehead after the demo was over. And I came in having had a long day. This was late in the afternoon. And I actually had a tiny bit of a headache. And I was a little afraid that that might make my experience less good. But I wore that thing for more than half an hour. And I should say the demo folks were very generous with me because we had some challenges, which I'll talk about in the course of this conversation. And so I kind of got more than my fair share of time with it. So even though it's not like using it for an hour or two hours or three hours, I found it more comfortable than I expected to find it. I had this, what they call the the solo loop. Apparently the dual loop is provided, but it is doesn't look as good or something. But most people who've reviewed the thing say that it's much more comfortable because it, it grips your head more firmly or it's, it's a, just a larger piece of fabric. Uh, but I found it to be fairly comfortable to wear. I found the fitting process, you know, with between the, the head scan and the dial on the side that lets you dial in precisely how tightly you want the strap on your head, mm. I found that very effective. The only, when, when I did put it on, initially my instinct, where, where I put it on my face, uh, he had me raise it a tiny bit, like a fraction of an inch, so that it, it wasn't uncomfortable, but the sort of native position where I might have put it resting on my cheek, I had to raise it an itty bit to get it right. Mm. And was there a strap over the top? Or is that have I made that up? Because I think some people were saying it gets less comfortable over time because they didn't want any of their straps over the top in the promo shots or, you know, yeah, um, I, th- in demo, I, th- demo. I think that might be the second strap that they're talking about, because I honestly haven't seen it. And there wasn't a strap over the top. There was just okay. a strap behind my head. And that's what I've seen in most of the pictures. And I think mm-hmm. that's what they call the single loop or the solo loop. Right. And I have heard, yes, that it is more comfortable with that second strap, but perhaps it doesn't look as good. 
cool and not really heavy. Yeah, it wasn't really, I mean, I kind of, I don't know what I expected. And I haven't used a lot of headsets. I know a lot of people who have talked about this know the MetaQuest and the, some of the Samsung headsets. And I've, I've worn a Samsung headset a time or two, and those can be heavy. Some of the devices that they've made into accessibility devices with Samsung headsets are heavy because there's actually a phone on the band. So they've added the weight of the phone. But even without the phone, those things are really heavy and especially top heavy. Like if you turn, you know, move your head down a little bit, they can be heavy to wear. So I don't have, other than that, a great deal of experience of wearing headsets and for a long period of time. I didn't mm-hmm. go away thinking, oh, I could wear this all day easy. But I did go away thinking, this is not a miserable experience. It is, it is possible to be comfortable wearing this. And of course, the battery's not in it, so that helps as well. Right. The battery is a flat uh you know, it's it's actually an attractively designed little rectangle. Well, I guess it's more of a square. It's kind of flat, so I would say it's maybe a half inch thick, and probably I'm very bad at estimating inches and stuff. Half inch thick, maybe uh, five inches square, something like that. So it's not a small device. I've I've heard men talking about putting the batter that battery in their pocket, which makes me laugh because I don't have any pockets big enough for that battery. <laughs> but even so. It didn't seem like for a 1.0 product, it, it was. It's not like some giant 12 volt battery that that somebody might have for a huge flashlight or something like that. It's a very attractive, elegant looking Apple style battery. Hmm. Five inches square sounds like a lot more than I was imagining because I was thinking you'd pop that into your back pocket, but no. Okay. Well, that's the thing. I think some some reviewers have said they would put it in there. I think you might be able to put it in your back pocket Cargo if it's pants. a big back pocket. Uh, <laughs> But probably not my back pocket. I'm never going to do no. that. It's just never no. happening. <laughs> okay. Now, did you have scary eyes on the front, which were yours? No. Is kind of scanning your face part of the setup no, process? No, they didn't then... do the eyesight part. And I'm not sure whether that was because there was a lot else going on. I I am not sure that's part of the of the demos. It wasn't something I was really eager about. I, I find the eyesight thing kind of weird and creepy. And I'm like, I just don't, I'm not interested in it. But that also kind of didn't come up in my demo. I was wondering if, you know, when they're scanning your face, they're also grabbing a picture of it and, you know, from different area, different angles and are able to create that automatically. But I guess that you didn't do that part of the setup process. I'm not clear on that. And I wonder the same thing about the persona thing, because we didn't do that. And I'm not sure at what point you grab what becomes a persona. I think that's a separate process, too, that you would do well beyond setup. But I can see how when they scan your face initially, your reaction might be, oh, well, this is where we're going to get the scary eyes and this is where we're going to get the persona. But it isn't. And the persona is the thing that you appear like to other people in a video call or something. Is that right? Yes. Um, And I, well, I'm just going to editorialize here. Uh, Unrelated to my own experience with the Vision Pro, why do I need that? I I don't have any, my face is my face, or I have many avatar options. Why do I need a persona? I think the ultimate idea is that you will have some sort of three-dimensional persona in space, and so that something representing your entire body would be in a call. But as long as I'm sitting on a FaceTime or a Zoom style call where it's a two-dimensional rendering of my face, I prefer to have my own face. Thank you very much. And I'm because the 
Vision Pro is not set up right now to have a camera pointing at your face and showing that to the world. I guess that's why we've substituted the personas. But I don't want to skip over the fact of just saying, hey, I don't want to be represented by a persona. I want to be represented by, by a real live image of myself. <laughs> Some people have said that the personas are a little bit, they're kind of in the uncanny valley, a bit like the scary eyes. So yes. maybe that, because we have emojis, you know, we can personalize nice cartoony things that look something like us. And maybe that is the better option in a, if you want to go 3D in a video call rather than something which is a little bit too close for comfort. Right. I would think that having that choice, because some people would want to be represented by a cartoon avatar. I mean, I personally don't use Memojis very much. I mm -hmm. made one or two, but I can see how some people would find... One of the benefits of the persona, supposedly, is that you don't have to be prepared for a video call. You don't have to look a certain way. Like, let's yeah. say you wear makeup or your hair is not in an ideal setup. Uh, having a persona would ease you having to be prepared for your call in that way. But the same thing is true of a Memoji or some other avatar that would represent you. And as a blind, completely blind person, they don't do anything for me. So Right. <laughs> um, okay, so you've got it on your face. What next? Well, one of the first, you, you look into it and it's in pass-through mode, which means you can see beyond the, the display. You mm -hmm. can see out the goggles. So in my case, the demo was in a pod in the Apple Store so that there were four sets of two chairs and the demo person would sit uh, next to you in the other chair. So four people could have a demo at the same time. So my view was of another person getting a demo and then the Apple Store beyond. And so that's what I saw in pass-through mode. On the screen, I saw a version of the hello that you see on a Macintosh or an iPhone, and hello in multiple languages, and it just, you know, scrolls out through that pretty text. And so that tells you that the device is on and powering mm -hmm. up and getting ready. And so the next thing that happens is uh, it asks you to put your hands, your put your arms out, palms forward, so that it can scan your palms. And this is to help make sure that it can, uh, that it knows the size of your hands and that you can do the gestures properly. And I didn't do that with voiceover but I should point out that it is possible to set this device up with voiceover just as you can with the iPhone. You would do a triple click on the digital crown and that would it would enable voiceover. And so I assume that voiceover would give you the instructions, stretch your hands out, palms forward, and it would calibrate you for the gestures. But that's what hmm. happens next is there, there are two very large palm prints that you're supposed to match your fingers against. And I thought that I wasn't doing it very well because I got my palms on there, but my fingers weren't exactly matching and I was trying to get it exactly right. And by the time I did, it had it, it let me go. It, it passed <laughs> me through onto the next step. So it didn't have to be very precise, which was nice. Hmm. Okay. And... The, the text that's in space, hanging in space, how far away did that feel? That is a very good question, and it's, it's going to be a central issue in a lot of what I talk about today because a lot of people who have low vision uh, can read at some distance with magnification. And then there are people like me who almost always read with their eyes very close to the screen or the piece of paper or what it is. So I'm literally a couple of inches away when I read. And Vision Pro, both in this setup process and going forward, all of the text looks like it's about the distance that a person with typical vision would be from a screen. So I'm not right close to the text. And that's why it was hard for me to read, because even though it was large text, it was just too far away. And on mm. the palm print setup thing, I knew what it wanted, both because there were giant 
giant palm prints that I could see, and because the specialist who had an iPad where he could see what I was seeing was guiding me, and he was telling me, this is what you need to do. You need to put your hands out and and show the device your palms. Uh, but the text, to me, I, I was trying to think of a way to describe it. And to me, Vision Pro in general, uh, whenever I was reading text, was like looking through a window at some distance. Like you're standing outside the house and you're several feet away from the window or maybe a foot away from the window and you're looking through and you're trying to read something in the window. And for mm. me, that's very difficult. I know that you can uh, zoom in and out on something, bring it closer and farther away with the crown, but I don't know whether that just makes it bigger or changes the focal length, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. It does change the focal length. Uh, there are, well, there, there are two issues there. So the zoom, as I experienced it, and this is beyond setup, this is in the settings, because mm -hmm. the, the next thing that happens after you do the palm setup is you end up, and he, he took me to accessibility settings because he knew I wanted to make some uh, adjustments, although I kind of let him drive that process because I wanted mm -hmm. to get the demo of what the accessibility settings were. So our next stop was on the settings screen. And so there's zoom available, but it's window zoom. So instead of zooming the full screen, you're zooming into a rectangle that's a portion of the window, which mirrors what's called window zoom on the phone or on the Mac. But mm -hmm. I don't typically use that. Also, uh, and because it, it obscures part of the screen, there's a big frame and you, you, you're only zoomed into a portion of the screen. But more importantly, mm -hmm. I don't know whether Vision Pro has the ability to change the zoom level within that window. That's a question I have out to Apple because I didn't see that. And on the Mac and on the iPhone, you can change the zoom level to whatever you want it to be, either in full screen or in window zoom mode. This is Shelley from the future. Since Robin and I recorded this conversation, I've learned that there is full screen zoom available and more magnification options than I saw during my demo. But again, it was a short store demo. So it's worth noting that if you get an Apple Vision Pro on your head, you should try to use the digital crown to zoom in and also go to accessibility settings and enable full screen zoom or use the zoom controller to do that. You'd hope it would, because, you know, they're, they're kind of entering a, a mature kind of environment that they've created where people have expectations, don't they? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I know it's Vision OS 1.0 or whatever it is, but cool. Okay, so which accessibility features did you look at? This is probably the most interesting and innovative part of it because we knew we wanted to focus on low vision, or I did. And so the things I really cared about were zoom and and things like text size and also the ability to control the device with a pointer or some method other than your eyes. Because if you have typical vision, you're going to use eye gaze. You're going to look at something to act on it, and then you're going to take make a gesture. So you look at a thing, and then you do the pinch gesture with your thumb and index finger to select it or to activate it, right? And it was very clear almost immediately that I couldn't do that. I couldn't look exactly at the place I was supposed to look, either because the text target was too small for me or because I couldn't tell that I had selected it because it highlights it, but there didn't seem to be enough contrast. And I'm being a little fuzzy on that because I'm not clear whether I can adjust that contrast or not. Again, the phone and macOS to some extent, but the phone especially has a number of contrast settings that you can use to adjust 
how much difference there is between the background and the text. And in this case, I will say that the settings mode by default, the settings screen by default was in a dark mode. So you had a dark background and light text, which is an enormous help to me. It's not called dark mode. That's just what settings looks lo look like on the Vision Pro. There's also an invert hmm. colors mode, which we can get to later. But it means that by default, I have a leg up in settings, but I still couldn't use eye gaze. So what I needed to do was some sort of pointer control. And there are several ways to do that. You can use your head, you can use your wrist, and you can use your index finger. And your wrist is basically your hand. So you have one hand that you're using for gestures, pinching and the like, and the other hand you could basically move up and down in order to move to a different area in settings or to select an app or whatever it is you're doing. And head is just, as you might imagine, you're, you're using your eyes, but you're really using the position of your head. I think of it as using my eyes because I'm trying to look at what I want to act on. But what I'm really doing is using my head, which means that if you move your head too fast, the screen goes, roop, roop, it scrolls. It's kind of weird. Uh, but I could also use my index finger. And I tried all of those modes, and I liked them all. And I, I actually find that to be one of the most interesting and innovative things. I don't think those features are particularly designed for somebody with low vision. I think they're designed for somebody with a physical disability who might have difficulty using their hands or all of their fingers to make the gestures, but I found them really helpful for me. As I say, I think I might end up being a voiceover user on Vision Pro, but if I'm not, I'm pretty sure I'm going to use one of those pointer control methods. Hmm. So with the head pointing method, if you tilt your head down, does the UI stay kind of where it is locked in space and you actually kind of scroll down? Yes. So oh, cool. settings especially, like it didn't really move. Like I know you can move windows that have apps in them or Safari windows, but when it comes to the settings window, which is where I'm talking about right now, that really doesn't move around. It perhaps is possible to move it around. I didn't do that. But yes, when I would move my head down or up, the UI would stay in place, but it would scroll the content of the UI, which was exactly what I wanted at that moment. So this, I'm just trying to get my head around this. So you've got this kind of floating settings screen. If you, if you look with the head, you know, mounted with the head pointer mode, you can tilt up and down and it will, you know, scroll up and down it. If you turned your head completely to the left, do you look away from the screen of the, you know, the settings window, it like left it hanging in space? That's Yeah, that's an interesting question because I did look left and right, but I didn't, you know, test it and say, what if I look yeah. way left or way yeah. right? But I noticed that it, it wasn't really zoomed in. Well, when it was zoomed in, I noticed that if I looked left or right, it would move the zoom window so that I could, if I wasn't seeing the entire settings screen, it would move the frame to the left or to the right. But mm. I didn't like do a full 90 degrees left or 90 degrees right to see what would happen. But that's an interesting question. My guess is that it was would just go off the screen at some point because that settings window is pretty fixed. There was no case in which it moved. It was always in the center of my view. Uh, again, the behavior might be very different with the contents of other windows. But even when I had like a Safari window or something, the windows didn't move unless you were very intentional about moving them. They're, they kind of stayed where they were supposed to stay if it was clear that you were acting on the content and not the window yeah. itself. I love the idea of the window being locked in space. So if you're sitting on your sofa, your couch, and you've got this thing hovering above your coffee table in front of you, you know, 
that it doesn't wobble up and down with the minute movements of your head and kind of bounce up and down on the coffee table or relative to the coffee table. Right. Um, but the consequence of that would be that if you went away to make a cup of coffee, then you leave that thing there, hanging virtually <laughs> above the, the coffee table. You come right. back and, and it's still there. Anyway, right. lots to be discovered. Okay, more. Well, so as I say, I was interested in low vision related accessibility. I didn't get to all of it. I didn't get to explore text size. Those options do exist. And that would obviate the need for Zoom, perhaps, if I could make the text size of settings and in apps uh, larger. They pointed out to me, I think I've read this before, that Pinch to Zoom works in Safari. So if you want to make your text bigger in Safari, you can just use Pinch to Zoom as you typically would. In, in an app like Safari or other apps that support Pinch to Zoom, you have multiple ways of zooming in, whether it be physically increasing the text size or using Pinch to Zoom in a one case-by-case basis or using the Zoom that's provided by iOS or macOS. And I think those options, ex- I think, I, I say I think because I'm not certain, I didn't go through all of them, but I think that range of options exists in Vision Pro. So cool. I guess the main accessibility features I used were, were those, were Zoom and the head gestures or the wrist gestures or the index finger gestures. And I tried to think which of those gesture methods I liked the best. The most reliable for me initially, I think, was index finger. I liked, which is kind of funny because that sounds like, okay, you're pointing at a fairly small text target, but you're sitting there with these goggles on your face and you have your index finger in your lap or just a little bit above and you sort of stab it outward or scroll up and down by moving your finger up and down to point to something different. And it does feel kind of amazing that you have all of those options. And the head thing was amazing too. I think certain screens probably lent themselves to different Uh, choices. Like if I'm trying to scroll from the top to the bottom of a screen, the head pointer is probably the easiest. But if I'm trying to move, oh, one place down or two places down, the index finger thing, you know, is worked best for me. But I was pretty well convinced. I would continue to try, but I was pretty well convinced that eye gaze is not the way I as a low vision user, and especially somebody who's kind of at ar- feels at arm's length from this device because I'm not close into the screen, uh, I, I feel like eye gaze is not going to be the way I would interact with it. Cool. And we should say that um, there are settings in the you know accessibility area where if you have nystagmus, where you really have not got that much control over exactly where you're looking with any accuracy, then you can turn, you can detune that, or you can use one of the other methods like you were saying. Um, Similarly, if you maybe have a false eye, so only one moves, you can tell it which one to track. (laughs) So yeah, that was one question he asked me. He asked me whether I wanted uh, one dominant eye and one not dominant eye, and I could do it that way, or I could even choose to have all of my input from one eye. And my eyes behave differently from one another, but it's also fairly unpredictable. And they don't, it's not, it's not tunnel vision, nor am I using one eye exclusively at any given time. So since I'm using both eyes, I didn't feel like I could say, oh, my left eye feels dominant today. So let's make my left eye dominant. That might be a choice I would experiment with. And yes, I can see how for people who are very, uh, whose vision is very much concentrated in one eye, that they would make that choice. And I think that's one of the ways in which, despite the fact that I think there are a lot of things about accessibility in Vision Pro that 
have yet to be refined. Some of the stuff they've done, with, like that eye focus and like the uh, multiple different kinds of pointers, just really feels like they're trying their best to make this available to as many people as they can. And I, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Totally, absolutely. And as a blind person, I mean, I haven't got an immediate use case for, although if someone wants to send me one, that's absolutely fine. But I am pretty sure I'll be able to use eye gaze, even though I can't obviously see at all. I've got this UI in front of me, floating in front of me, and I can have voiceover and eye gaze plus voiceover will tell me exactly what I'm looking at all the time. I feel really confident about voiceover, even though I didn't use it a lot, because it really does remind me the interface of iOS, or iPadOS specifically, mm-hmm. more so than macOS. And because it feels like that and because I'm very familiar with iPadOS, I, f- I don't even have a question about whether voiceover would be an effective way to move around. It's yeah. a matter of getting used to the gestures, which most people get used to fairly quickly. And voiceover is going to give you all the information you need to move from place to place. This interface will be familiar to somebody who's used iOS and iPadOS in su- such that they're not going to have to relearn a voiceover language or relearn sort of what their mind's eye sees in, as far as the interface. It's it's very iPadOS-like. Hmm. And did you feel all minority report when you were using <laughs> waving your hands around and controlling stuff? A little bit. The weirdest, the hardest thing for me was actually pinching in and out and doing, you know, scroll gestures and the like, because I felt if, if, if I thought about it, if I thought about what my hands were doing, I felt sort of a little silly and self-conscious. But if I just focused on doing it, it was fairly natural and straightforward. It took me a little practice. I, he was trying to get me to scroll through a whole bunch of photos and pinch to zoom in on some, and I had a little trouble with it. I think it was because I was too much in my head, and I was in this weird sort of demo space with all these people around me. And I feel like once you get used to it, it, it does feel fairly natural, and the gestures are not so complicated that somebody who can effectively use their hands and their fingers would find them difficult. And throughout the demo, were you always in kind of windowed mode or did you ever sort of zoom in so much that you were fully immersed? Well, the, I mean. the immersion part was kind of a separate thing. So there, there are several things to know. When we got out of settings and then we got to a main app window, it's very much like, again, an iPadOS grid and you can tap on apps and your background can either be that pass-through mode so you can see what's beyond your goggles or you can be in what they call an environment. And he put me in an environment which was a beautiful lake view, which was just the right choice for me. I know that some there are some environments that are on the moon and some environments that are mountains and the ocean. And I, I loved this beautiful lake view, which was immersive, which was 3D. I could actually look up into the sky and yeah. there was no horizon. There was no barrier. I, I was just amazed by that. I, I just looked straight up and I went, oh my God, there's a sky up there. And floating in the middle of that was this app window. So it's very arresting visually. Um, I have issues with transparency. Like whenever I have Mm -hmm. a a Mac or or an iPhone, I almost always make everything as opaque as I possibly can because I get distracted by the background. And I wouldn't have wanted to do that with the environment. I would want to keep the environment. But the app window floating above it, I would want that to be opaque. And I feel like even though that sort of takes you out of the environment a little bit, for me visually, I think it would be helpful. But the immersive environments are wonderfully distracting. And <laughs> in, I am in mostly so a good jealous. Way. Honestly, I mean, I, when I could see, I had 
you know, I, I'm still very visual. I can picture every scene from Star Wars and all that sort of thing. So the idea of being in a wooded, you know, valley or something with this pane in front of you with the settings on it, and you can get up and you can walk, take a couple of steps to the left, a couple of steps forward, what's behind it? You know, what does the back of it look like? That kind of thing. Right. Um, I don't know if that's possible. But anyway. It, um, well, kind of, and you can, so turn, you can turn, you know, you're talking about turning left or turning right. Yeah. So if I turned my entire head left or right, there continues to be stuff to look at. It's, it feels like an immersive environment. There's yeah. also a, a low level of sound. So in this case, there was running water to go with the lake. I know other environments have some sort of sonic backgrounds as well. And I didn't notice that at first. I saw the background. I was looking at it visually. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait, I hear running water. And I looked around and there's no fountain in the Apple store. So <laughs> it clearly was coming out of the speakers that were... Yeah. The, the Vision Pro has some speakers on the side of it, which apparently, and I couldn't tell because I was in a loud Apple store, but apparently, oh. you know, you want to wear, wear headphones, you want to air, wear AirPods or something, but mm-hmm. there are these speakers so that if you're alone and you, you, can, you hear it in your ears, you don't hear it as a loudspeaker, you hear it as a very close-in sound, but I yeah. can see how if those speakers were outward-facing, especially if you're using voiceover, you might want to use headphones instead. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Bose frames, the Tempo, the, the latest model I've got. And yeah, they, they try to fire the sound into your ears, but there is leakage, definitely. Yeah, I I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, the, the other thing about the immersive, that's the immersive environment as a background. But then there's a whole other 3D immersion part of the demo where they, and you've probably heard about this, where there's the Alicia Keys singing and there are animals coming toward you and there's a birthday party and there's all <laughs> these scenes that are fully immersive 3D video. And it, I always wonder, because I haven't consumed a lot of 3D in my life, but when I have, I haven't really gotten it. I've worn the 3D glasses and I've gone, I don't, it doesn't really work for my eye condition, but it absolutely did in this case. I feel like I was completely immersed and there were, Uh. there were dinosaurs coming toward me and there was, (laughs) there was a water buffalo that was particularly mesmerizing. (laughs) Uh, So it, it was, that was, I mean, that's the sizzle reel, right? So you go through all this other demo where you're looking at photos and safari and I had some challenges with that like I say I had some trouble with the gestures and I think because I was looking through what I perceive as a picture window I was looking so far away I wasn't able to interact with the text in the way I wanted to so we kind of skipped to the sizzle reel which is this long pre-made Apple demo video that has all of these scenes in it and it's that's absolutely designed to sell a Vision Pro experience. You go into the Apple TV app and he has you select the video that you're going to watch. So you're not going around watching a bunch of different movies and consuming content that was created for purposes other than the Vision Pro. You're consuming exactly what they want you to consume and it's beautiful and it looks just as they would want you to look at. Uh, And it's a great way to close out the demo too because whatever experiences you've had before, and as I say, I had some stumbles with just trying to see things enough to act on them. And I didn't have him go back and do voiceover because I was really committed to trying to do this as much in a low vision way as I could. Uh, But it sort of did feel like once I got into that immersive space and I was mostly just consuming and looking around, looking to the left and right and up and down and and watching animals come toward me, I felt like, (laughs) okay, that's what the Vision Pro really excels at. And that's VR basically, isn't it? I mean, yeah. A lot of people get very sick, very nauseous when they are in that kind of environment. And that's because the refresh rate, the frame rate's quite low. And you've got this kind of mismatch between your what your inner ear is telling you is you're doing and the kind of 
I don't know how how the environment moves, but you felt that was quite. I mean, it was very realistic by the sounds of it. So it, it was, and I didn't get motion sick. It's it's important to know though that I also wasn't trying to move because I think Vision Pro Apple basically wants you to sit still and use it. I mean, people talk about getting up and walking around and they can do that. And of course, people have tried stunts and tried to do things that Vision Pro isn't really designed for. But mm-hmm. it, it feels like, if, if I have one criticism of just using the Vision Pro, it just feels like an experience where you're meant to sit in your chair and you know have the, this stuff come in front of you and it'll be a great experience. But the minute you start trying to get up, or I mean, I, I didn't walk around with it, obviously. I was in a demo mode. I had a battery tethered to me. Uh, so I didn't experience any motion sickness, but I was also not moving. I mean, there were things around me that were moving. But and I don't and I know that there's some people that even in that situation would have gotten motion sickness. Probably people who have uh, balance issues or who who mm. have perhaps other existing disabilities that that are related to the inner ear. And in fact, one of the things when you sign up for the demo is they they ask you about conditions like that and if you're at risk for seizures and and the like. And so there are some cases in which they don't want you to have the demo. But for me, who has fairly typical reactions to that sort of thing. I was good. Now, now I know my husband is very sensitive. Like he won't go on rides that spin you around, or mm-hmm. you know, that give you anti-grav kind of experiences. And I bet you couldn't pay him to put that on his head. But <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> so, is there any mode that you can go into where there's there's nothing except pass through, except you know, just looking at the room? Actually, yeah. Well, the the opening mode when it starts up, like I say, because it'll say you know hello on the screen, which is just an animation that's in front of mm-hmm. you, and everything else you're seeing is passed through. And then you, I believe, you press the digital crown, and that basically says, "Okay, let's go to town. Let's go see settings, or let's go see the app." So yes, you can look at your environment. I assume that without the eyes on the front, the eyesight on the front of your head, that nobody can see you, but you can see the environment normally. I think your hearing is probably somewhat distorted by the band being over your ears, not not in a oh. severe way. It's not like wearing AirPods Pro or something with transparency mode off. Uh, um. But it's... Uh, you know, you're you're definitely wearing a pair of goggles. You're definitely separate from the world around you, but you can absolutely see the world around you, and it's not distorted in any way. The reason why I ask is because there's some obvious applications for low vision and mobility. I mean, you've said that, you know, it, they're intended to have you stay put, but at the same time, I mean, I'm thinking of, a you know, a, a specialist um, headsets like eSight, which is £6,000, probably dollars as well, um, which is basically a VR headset where it, you know, shows you what you're looking at around you, but it has some modes, some functions where it can augment the the color contrast. If you see better, if you've lost your central vision and you see better out of the corner of your left eye, then it can shift the, the central part of the, you know, view to that. Part. So, you know, you kind of uniquely moves your, you know, what you want to look at in front of you to the bit of your eye that can look at it best, that kind of thing. So right. could this ever be used for something like that, you know, where you might be able to make the world more high contrast or, I mean, it's got great surface detection and edge detection. We've seen, you know, um, apps where there are a little pig jumping up and down on the, you know, your table in front of you and going out of your door and that sort of thing. So it knows about edges, whether it could highlight those, make them more high contrast for people who are trying to get around with low vision, that sort of thing. Well, in theory, yes. And I, I think that the most important accessibility story for Vision Pro is what 
people expect or hope that it will do in the future. So so everybody I've talked to about Vision Pro accessibility really has aspirations for how it could be used to view the environment outside of the goggles, whether Mm -hmm. it means increasing contrast the way eSight does or focusing a particular part of your vision field, or whether it means providing navigation assistance or AI-assisted object identification. All of those things would require Apple to open up Vision Pro in ways that it hasn't yet done. Are they possible? Absolutely. But it's unclear whether and when Apple will choose to do that. The cameras have to be available to third-party apps that might provide navigation or object identification information. Processors already exist. I mean, the machine learning processors are in there. Uh, it's it's basically a computer already. And so it's a matter of having those cameras available to gather that information and bring it back to the processor and give it back to you in some form, whether it's through voiceover or whether it's through some sort of haptic situation or, or other other sounds. I mean, there are all sorts of things those glasses, the, the goggles could do, but Apple hasn't really announced a direction for that yet. I think that's understandable. And to, to me, and, and I, you know, I might be selling it short and tell me what you think. I, until, until those accessibility features where we're, we're actually augmenting what the device allows us to do, until those happen, I don't know that there's much of a use case for somebody who's blind or low vision. Sure, you could, as a low vision person, I guess you could watch TV and you could see a 3D movie or some sort of immersive video, and that would be great. But at the current price of Vision Pro, I don't know whether that's worth it to somebody. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if those sensors, cameras, everything could be opened up to third-party apps, fantastic. But... I mean, I'm thinking of the magnifier app in iOS. You know, you've got OCR in there. You've got object recognition. Um, you've got door recognition where it can, you know, tell you where the handle is and stuff. If you've got, if you've got LiDAR, and I'm hoping this has got LiDAR. I'm pretty sure it has. Um, so there's a lot of first-party stuff in the control panel. There's the barcode scanner. I don't know if that's built into the magnifier by default. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff in the viewfinder when you open the camera app as well. So... There's a lot of first party stuff, which I'd love. I'm just itching to hear what people have, you know, dug out as regards what's in there in 1.0. Yeah, same. It does depend on whether LiDAR exists and it depends on those cameras being opened up. Again, yeah, to first party, as you say, to third party, possibly for something like Seeing AI or Be My Eyes. But yeah, the Magnifier app, it just feels like they could do amazing things with the magnifier app because the interface to that right now, the, the UI and the phone, I mean, it, it feels still like a proof of concept. The way you have to get to some of those features and the fact that they don't really interact with one another. You're either looking for doors or you're looking for text or you're looking for, uh, you know, buttons on your microwave or whatever it is. It feels a little bit uh, clunky, but it feels like a very 1.0 situation. And a device like this could make some of those decisions for you and on the fly say, okay, you're walking down a hall, there's a door that says doctor and it's open and it's uh, beyond is a red desk with a woman behind it mm-hmm. who's six feet away. I mean, combine all of that information and give me some enough about my environment that I can navigate independently. And hand detection. So, you know, you reach for the handle up a bit, oh, left a bit, that's it. Yep. You know, um, absolutely. I'm I am excited, but way out of my price range. Um, 
But yeah, if you could have something, all those kind of pinch and zoom, uh, enlarge, all of those things that you've got within the OS, if you could have that for the world as well, that's brilliant for low vision. <laughs> I you know, want it's a like pinch Blade and zoom the world, yes. Enhance, you know. So um, I think that would be great. I mean, and that is what the magnifier app does really, isn't it? You know, if you've got an iPad, hold it up, open the, up the, the magnifier app and you can do what you like to the world within limits but uh that i'd love to see i don't know if it's got the magnifier app in probably not it's uh the magnifier app is is available on the ipad as of lately uh i don't have i don't have a lidar ipad so i don't know if you can use the lidar features Mm -hmm. obviously Mm -hmm. you have to have a lidar phone to do them i I believe you can but i i haven't used them myself but Yeah. yeah i think having something like magnifier but that again would kind of interpret the world without your being required to say, okay, now I'm going to use people detection to find out how far somebody is away from me yep. when I maybe I'd like to read their T-shirt or maybe I'd like to read the sign that's over the desk. Uh, but based on the kind of preferences that you set in your magnifier app, it could give you the amount of feedback that's appropriate for you. And in theory, it could even be interactive. You could say, oh, that's enough. I don't really need to read the T-shirt. All I need to know is, you know, there's some way for you to communicate it. And, and you're basically saying, tell me what's 10 feet away. Tell me what interactions are possible here. It's kind of like a t- choose-your-own-adventure game where you're saying, describe the room. And it says, there's a door here. There's a cabinet here. There's a yeah. person here. <laughs> and then you go, hammer. what is the person wearing? <laughs> Well, exactly. And we know, or at least there's strong rumors that Siri is going to get major upgrade in iOS 18. So, you know, you could imagine you could do a lot of driving by voice. So, yeah, zoom in on the guy in the baseball cap. I want, you know, and tell me what's on his T-shirt or let me see what's on it. You know, the, the design on his top or something, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I should go back and point out, too, that Siri, even in its current limited form, is available in Vision Pro and Vision OS 1.0. And so a lot of these setting of accessibility settings, once you have a Vision Pro of your own, can be done with Siri. So I can say, turn on voiceover, turn off voiceover. Uh, I'll just, because I'm thinking about it, talk about a couple of settings things. I mentioned Zoom and how I'm not sure about the level of zoom you can have or the whether you can do full screen. I'm also a little unclear about dark mode and invert colors. My understanding is that there is only what's called basic invert colors, which means that you can get a dark background with light text, but that images might be uh, negatives instead of positives, which was what the old basic invert colors was before smart invert colors came along. Um, the other thing is, uh, and this is to do with um, reading glasses and such. I mentioned I have a prescription reading glasses with very thick lenses. They didn't have those lenses available for me. Not surprised, not upset about it. But the theory is that if I have those lenses, it would bring the whole interface closer to me, which sounds great if I'm reading text. It doesn't necessarily sound great if I'm watching a movie or an immersive environment. If you are a person with low vision, think about it this way. You have a pair of reading glasses. You have a magnifying glass. You probably don't watch TV with it on. You probably read your screen or your paper uh, text or look at images, but you probably don't watch your TV with your reading glasses on, and it would be weird to do. And so that's the concern I have is that even if there is support for uh, very thick corrective lenses that it might or might not be possible for you to do both text reading and content consumption. And that's a big question for me personally. There's a simple solution to that. What's Just that? Two. Yeah. 
<laughs> right? It's the near version and the far version. Sure, I've got $7,000 to invest in a Vision Pro. That, that's it. Just sell some more. Shelly from the future again. Well, it turns out that there is a Zeiss insert that fits my very old reading glasses prescription. I wasn't able to try it because, frankly, I didn't push very hard for that option because I didn't really expect that reading glasses were going to be the way that I wanted to interact with the Vision Pro. But just to be fair... Uh, I did add my old prescription information to the form provided by Zeiss and was informed that I could get an insert that matched my prescription. So it's worth it if you have a low vision specific prescription to put that information into the form and see whether you can get a lens insert that matches what you need. I mean, it was an interesting experience. I mm-hmm. felt like uh, the the person giving me the demo was clearly not specifically familiar with all the accessibility features but because they knew I was coming they he was he was very helpful and very patient a lot of patience was required because not everything worked as well as it should have the first time but when something didn't work he knew exactly where to go to help me figure it out so i felt like it was a good demo experience in that way because he didn't get as i sometimes do when i'm trying to show somebody something and it's not quite working out I, I can get a little flustered, and he did not. He was just like, okay, well, <laughs> wrist wrist uh, pointer didn't work. Let's try head pointer. Uh, a couple, a few other things. So uh, I, I say pointer control. You can have a cursor as well uh, to guide you, and that's a separate setting. I can't remember how it's invoked, but it's in accessibility settings. And that cursor is very much like the iPad cursor. It's a round dot Uh, I do not know whether you can increase the size of that round dot or whether you can change its color and contrast. Those would be very important to me. As somebody who's used a Mac for 100 years with large cursors, what I want is a pointer. I want an actual arrow that will point me toward a thing. But again, it's ver- this is very, very Mac OS-like. It f- does not feel like a Mac. It feels like an iPad. And so you're dealing with a pointer that is more of a dot. That's not a deal breaker for me, but it is just you know less less perfect than I would like it to be. I also have a question about what your experience would be like if you put use universal control to put the Mac in your Vision Pro window. Do you get access to all of the Mac's accessibility features? Do you get dark mode? Do you get enlarged cursor if you want that? Or do you get the other accessibility benefits of the Mac? And I would assume that whatever voiceover you're using is going to be from Vision Pro. It wouldn't pass through from the Mac, but I don't know again. So a fair number of open questions about how you would use it as a computing platform. Uh, one one other thing... Um, there is a virtual keyboard available in the Vision Pro, and I've I've heard people say it's very hard to use. These are people who have typical vision, and I've looked at it, and it's kind of at the bottom of the screen usually, and it's the text targets are incredibly tiny. I'm sure I couldn't use it. Bluetooth keyboards are supported, and that would be my first purchase. If I got a Vision Pro, I would be like, okay, great. Now that I've spent $3,500 plus on the Vision Pro, I'm going to need a $50 Bluetooth keyboard, or I'm not going to use it at all because <laughs> I am not typing on that virtual <laughs> keyboard. I might be unusual or unusually lucky, but dictation for me is fantastic. Really I do pretty good, well so. with di- I do pretty well with dictation. I mean, I always want both, right? I want dictation, but then when something doesn't go right or when something isn't capitalized, because what I find is when I dictate, there'll be a period and a new capitalization in the middle of a sentence. I don't know what I've done to cause it to think that I've finished, but I haven't. And so I have to go back and fix it. I almost always have to go back and fix something. And then there are things like filling out forms where you always need a keyboard. But I think a keyboard is a 
a good expenditure. Obviously, it, it for some people, it might make it difficult because, you know, where do you put that keyboard? Do you put it in your lap? Because do, are you living the dream? Are you sitting on your couch? Do you have a keyboard on your lap and your Vision Pro on your face? I don't, I don't know how all that works for people. And as you're typing, obviously your fingers are moving. So hopefully it's not trying to detect that you're pinching or zooming or... <laughs> right. That's something somebody was uh, was mentioning. And beca- because, the, yeah, the Vision Pro is watching for your hand gestures below it. And so you would probably want to put your keyboard somewhere that the Vision Pro wouldn't accidentally be encountering your gestures. And I, I kind of wonder if there's any sort of sensitivity setting like that. Like if you're using a Bluetooth keyboard, might it be less sensitive to gestures? Or might you be able to put the field a little forward so that it can only detect gestures when your hands are on your knees as opposed to, you know, by your lap. I'm not sure. (laughs) Unless, you know, it's clever enough to see a keyboard underneath your fingers because, you know, it's probably using object recognition for some things. I mean, it's all machine learning, right? So, Mm -hmm. What about performance? Did it feel 1.0 or was it pretty snappy? I think it was snappy, but at the same time, the experiences were very much curated, right? Like, so... They're showing me the immersive video they want me to see. There was no lag in the video. There wasn't any really any real lag in terms of, uh, you know, moving from place to place with an apps and the like. There was a point at which uh, we had to reboot because it just wasn't recognizing my gestures for some reason. And the solution was to reboot. And it seemed like it take, took a really long time for it to reboot. And that surprised me. Uh, once it did, it was fine, though. Maybe if, because you're in a demo situation and time constrained, if you'd have rebooted your phone at the same time, that would have felt like it was taking an age as well. So it's probably just the normal length. (laughs) Well, and also it may be that it's loading some sort of demo environment too that Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of. You know, because I, I sus- like even though you, you see a screen with apps, he's directing you to specific ones. And even when you go to Apple TV to get to that immersive experience, I wouldn't be surprised if they're locking off a lot of things that you can't do and essentially ro- loading a subset of the full Vision Pro experience for the demos. Very cool. Yep. Will you get one? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I. I mean. I. To be honest, I'm really interested in 2.0. I. I feel like some of the accessibility things that we want in terms of, not accessibility of the product itself, but accessibility that it could facilitate in our lives. I feel like that's going to be several years down the line, and I. I hate to say that, but it. I feel like, it, it, You know. Maybe that's a 4.0 thing. Maybe that's a 2026, 2027 kind of thing. But I do feel like now is the time for people when they have the opportunity to advocate for that sort of thing and say, do you realize what an amazing opportunity this is for accessibility, especially if they can get the size of the hardware down from ski goggles down to something like a pair of glasses, that then that becomes a real game changer in terms of accessibility. Mm-hmm. And even if you have to have a phone to support it, even if the Vision Pro is doing some of the work and your phone is doing some of the rest of the work, still the ability to have that controlled uh, via a head-mounted device that has cameras looking out at the world, that's, that's, a gra- that's a holy grail for accessibility as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, Robin, thanks so much for taking me through all of this. And it was really good to sort of see somebody else's perspective. I was kind of overwhelmed by it because it felt like it was 30 minutes, but it felt like it was kind of longer than that because so much was (laughs) happening during the whole thing. So I appreciate your your taking the time. And uh, so so my question to you, are you when when they come to England, are you going to be uh, thinking about getting one yourself? I'm certainly going to think about doing a 30 minute demo. (laughs) 
and seeing it's what you can it. do yes. when you can't see anything at all, you know, how they would sell it to you or if they would, you know, I don't know, you don't get the hard sell when you go into an Apple store, but, Not at all. you know, what Not their all. kind of story would be while I was doing the demo as to what, you know, I would get out of it. But yeah, I would be super interested. Yeah, the closest thing to a hard sell is that they they tell you they're going to send you the email with all the information about the specifics, about your fit and mm-hmm. about your if you had glasses, lenses. They, they would tell you all of that stuff so that when you bought the Vision Pro, you'd be ready for it. Some of the reviews I've read indicated that the Apple uh, specialists were reading a script uh, more so. And I think because my demo was so focused on accessibility and because it went a little bit awry at times uh, with with the reboot and with me learning to do gestures and things, I think he was a little more off script than he might otherwise have been. Uh, and I was disappointed to find out that some people were getting what they felt were like really scripted experiences. But most people who've talked about their demos haven't really uh, encountered a great deal of that and certainly no pressure, no high pressure to buy one. Hmm. I mean, a large chunk of your demo was looking at accessibility, which probably yes. wouldn't feature in anyone else's. So no, no, or many, right? That's yeah. yes, exactly, and that's the way I wanted it, and that's why I was so upfront with them about I have accessibility needs because I didn't want to waste time going. Oh well, I know this thing you tried to show me, but I can't do it. I mean, that there's no point in that, and I'm not testing their knowledge of accessibility. And I would, especially with a 1.0 product like this, I would really recommend that anybody who has a need of accessibility features and wants to go in for a demo, put that in the notes that you send along with your mm-hmm. request for a demo, or let people know. I mean, I, I'm all for trying to do as much as you can without getting assistance. I, in fact, sometimes I'm kind of stubborn, and sometimes maybe I do that a little bit too much. But I think in this case, with a product that is so uh, complex and so, frankly, not designed for people with disabilities, but can support them in the proper context, it feels like everything you can do to sort of explain your specific needs is going to make your experience better. Cool. I mean, they are struggling to a certain extent to tell the story for, you know, able-bodied people. You know, what's the use case? (laughs) What's the killer app? Why would would you buy one of these things? Especially (laughs) if you can't move around. Like, fitness is a perfect example. It sounds like a great thing for a fitness app, but then they're like, well, no, you have this battery and also don't move around too much because you might get motion sickness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or a sore neck. Cool. Right. Right. Well, uh, Robin Christofferson, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me about this. If, folks, if you are interested in following along with what we do here at Parallel, please go to relay.fm slash parallel. You can also find me on Mastodon at parallel at relayfm.social. We'll be back again soon with another episode. And frankly, your feedback help makes, helps make that happen. So if there are topics or people you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode of Parallel, please get in touch over on Mastodon or using the feedback form on the website, because that only helps make the show better. Robin, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye, everybody. <laughs>